Welcome to the Pursuit Table Talk podcast with Pastor Russell Johnson and Dr. Michael Maiden. We are here continuing on the conversation of revival. This episode is part two, where they are talking about the spirit of the age, end times, and unity in the church. Let's hear what they have to say. How do you see God moving in this in this season? Well, that's an amazing question. Uh, this is this is really an exciting time. And, you know, the, the book of Revelation begins with this heavenly encounter. And Jesus starts talking to John about the seven churches right away in chapters two and three. Mm. And he gives the seven churches an honest evaluation mm. of where they are. <laughs> wow. Here's the good stuff. Here's the not so good <laughs> yeah, stuff. Right, right. We're in that season. Okay. <laughs> here's the good stuff. Here's the not so good stuff. So uh, the body of Christ, I would say, just in, in the States, that we've maybe, you know, in that scale, we've had a lot of things that haven't been good, some things that have been good. Mm. So none of that's a surprise to God. It, it is the revelation. It is the really bringing things out into the open to be realized by the church that, that we're always there. Mm. But I just want to really encourage people because um, the Bible says in Isaiah 60, Arise and shine, your light has come. The glory of God's risen upon you. The very next verse says, Darkness will cover the earth. Right. Gross, intense darkness to people, but the Lord shall arise upon you, his glory seen upon you. Gentiles will come to your shining, kings to the brightness of your shining, your sons and daughters coming home because you're ablaze for Christ. Mm. And the, the idea is these two things happen, these dichotomous realities happening simultaneously. Darkness becoming more intense, glory becoming more bright. And so that's where we're at. And so it's, a, it's an exciting time because God has so much in store for his people. There is so much promise for the last day church, which is us, I believe. And so this is a time of revival, of breakthrough, of renewal, of yeah. awakening, of so many, of a harvest of souls. Mm. And, um, you know, so there's been a, a, a lot of things revealed and a lot of things coming out, or a lot of things being exposed as maybe weaker than we thought they were. That's all good. We want to know how God looks at things. In, in 1 Kings or 2 Kings, the, the, the Syrian army is trying to ambush the, Israeli, the, the army of Israel. And so the prophet Elijah protects them. He, descends, he, he sends notice to the king, don't, don't have the army go that way. The Syrians are waiting for you there. Mm -hmm. So he had words of knowledge to protect the army of Israel from the ambush, the strategy of Syria. Mm -hmm. It happens so many times the king of Assyria loses his cool. He's ready to kill us. He thinks he's being betrayed. <laughs> right. But they said, it's not us. It's those guys. They have a prophet. The mm -hmm. things we whisper here, he hears. And the idea was this. So he sent a whole battalion to, to go get him. And so <clears throat> the next morning, the, the servant of Elijah wakes up and all around his city, there's the Syrian army, right, the chariots. Right, I mean, right, really right. serious soldiers. And so he runs inside the last master. What are we going to do? He's freaking out. And uh, the Lord, he, first of all, he prophesies the truth. Um, there are more with us than against mm, us. Right. Yeah. But that man couldn't see it because he only saw in one dimension. He only saw the natural. Mm. And when we only see the natural, we will have the consequence, which is fear and confusion and, and discouragement. And so he prayed, Lord, open the eyes of my servant that he can see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the servant and he saw both the worlds. He still yeah, saw yeah, the yeah. Syrian army, oh, that's right. but hovering above them, he saw the chariots of, of an angelic army. Mm. And when he saw how things really were, his faith stored and his fears left. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And so the church has to see things how they really are. There are more with us than right. against us. So good. This is the greatest hour in history. There are more Christians on the planet right now than all of history combined. God <laughs> yeah, is, yeah. There is God's moving in every yeah, continent. He's yeah, softening yeah. the hearts of yeah, the good. of mankind in every country. So this is the greatest time or at the greatest moment of harvest in church history. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's how things really are. In the in the spiritual sense, that's a long answer. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, no. Well, I, I mean, I think if there's anything that the last 18 months has forced us to do is to answer the question: What do we really believe to be true about the church, and what really is the bedrock of our ecclesiastical framework? Why, why do we believe that the church exists? Right. And the church does a lot of good things. It 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 feeds the hungry, and it clothes the naked, and it ministers to folks. Uh, who are locked up, and it and it helps people in the margins of society. But I think over the last year and a half, what's really solidified for us is we believe the church exists to glorify Jesus. Amen. And out of that place of glorifying Jesus, ministry flows, life flows, programs flow, discipleship flows, but primarily the church exists to glorify Christ. Mm-hmm. And even when you read kind of the apostolic letters in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul is clear, Christ is the head of the church. Mm-hmm. But the fullness is in his body. Right, and yeah. so we've really had to reimagine our lives around this idea that it's Christ, not Caesar, who's the head of the church. And it's glorifying Jesus, which is the express purpose for why the church exists. And uh, I, I, I think in a lot of ways, the last 18 months has functioned as a gift from God to the church that has allowed us uh, to, to, to differentiate between the things that we thought we needed versus mm. the things that we actually needed. Yeah. And uh, when the whole world shut down really overnight and all of a sudden, you know, the things that we took for granted, like being able to assemble in a free society and gather and worship, when all of those things were threatened and essentially taken away, I think what it really did is gave a lot of Christians in the West a reality check. Yeah. Like, like, is right. this thing valuable enough to right. contend for? And if not, why not? Right. And if our churches closed down overnight without any presence in the communities, does anybody notice or does anybody care? Yeah. Yeah. And, and so for us, we've been on this journey of really of really needing to like reestablish what we believe to be true about church, what we believe to be true about God. And then in doing so, allowing that to really frame our mindset going forward. Cause I don't think we've seen the last of lockdowns. I don't think we've seen right. the last of government tyranny. I don't think we've seen the last of bureaucratic interference. I think that this is a down payment on what is to come. It's mm. an unveiling of the spirit of the age in which we live. Right. And, and, and I think it was probably true. If you, if you could rewind culturally in America 30 or 40 years ago, there was a time where the Judeo-Christian worldview and culture seemed to mesh a lot more with kind of our cultural contemporary surroundings, but not so in our world today. There's more of a stark difference between light and, and darkness. And I think oftentimes one of the myths that believers fall under, especially in our country, is the myth of secular neutrality. The idea that there is somehow some middle ground between being a Christian right or being in the kingdom of darkness. And if I can just maintain neutrality, then I can protect my influence and I can promote my brand and I can reach a bunch of people who hold views that are antithetical to you know, the virtue and value right. of scripture. Right. And in doing so, I can be the most popular and most liked and most respected and most commented, liked and shared personality on any type of social media platform. Um, but I think we are in a time of choosing for the church. Yeah. Even like Joshua took, took the children of Israel into the valley of decision. He said, choose this day whom you will serve. Either you will serve the gods right, of right, culture right. or we will serve the God of Israel. Choose this day. And I think we're really in a prophetic time of choosing for the church. Amen. Who are we going to be? What are the things that we are going to value? What are the things that we're going to hold fast to? And, and I think that there's a challenge from God in this season. There's a challenge for us to raise our ecclesiology 
There's a challenge for us to raise what we believe to be true about Scripture. There's a challenge mm. for us to, 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 to you know, uh, crucify our need to be liked, and in doing so, find ourselves in the kingdom of light opposed to the kingdom of darkness. Mm-hmm. The kingdom suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. And, and uh, y- y- we know from Scripture the wheat and tares grow together, but there is coming a time where the tares are bundled up and thrown into the yeah, fire, right. and the wheat is bundled up and taken into the storehouse. We are approaching that time. Yeah. And as we do, the difference between the wheat and tares seems to grow yeah. exponentially. Yeah. yeah, and you mentioned something uh, the other day about a vision that you had, an encounter you had where there was an earthquake and rocks were moved and things were revealed. Right. And I think that's very interesting. I don't know if you want to share that. There was just this revealing that was happening. And it seems like in the last probably, you know, maybe five, six, eight years, there's been just a, a bringing to light, a revelation mm-hmm. and, a, you know, and, and isn't even that what the, you know, the book of revelation is about. It's the revealing of the son of God. Yeah. And how do you see this, um, kind of this season in this last, you know, 18 months or so, um, it, it seems to have a, awakened a fresh, um, interest again in our eschatology and people are going, wow, is this the end of the world? Are right. we really headed toward, you know, these things that the book of revelation talks about? Where do you just personally, and, and there's probably a, you know, a million different viewpoints on this, but where do you see us in this whole process of, uh, of end times? I feel like this, uh, I've been telling pastors for the last year, this is a trial run, I feel, mm. for for what's ahead, like Pastor Russell said, um, that this is going to keep happening because now they've found what works, especially right. the, <laughs> right. the globalists. Yeah. And right. it's just really fear. Mm. Fear is such a controlling mechanism. And the, the union of um, politics and media and also big business has really made um, an interesting... Um, adversary to the to the to having peace of mind and having uh, you know a critical thinking even so so much is happening um, but I, I I love Pastor Russell's mind he's just a brilliant strategist and I, I would say we're definitely you know they the early church thought Christ was coming in their lifetime right and uh, so the the idea of the, the 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 soon coming return of Christ every generation should have now we are that we obviously have more prophetic fulfillment, Israel becoming a nation, Jerusalem, the capital. Now the things we see, Christ talked about these things in Matthew 24. He said, when you see these things, it's not the end, it's the beginning of the end. It's the the labor. And that, but what the cool thing I like about that. So he's talking about the end times, wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes in diverse places, hatred, opposition, persecution, all these things happening. And then, and pestilence. And then he, he, the same thought. We, we change chapters, but it's the same narrative. Mm. He's in chapter twenty-five. He says, "There was a man who got married. He had ten. He's engaged to ten women. He, so ten virgins are going to marry this man, and all of them are excited. All of them are beautiful. All of them are chosen. Um, but the the wedding happened later than they anticipated. Right. Mm. And so when it was finally called for the wedding." They all got up and they trimmed their lamps. And the word trimmed is cosmeo in the Greek. It means to beautify. Mm. And what, what, so while they're getting ready, five of them had extra oil and five of them did not. Mm-hmm. And so they, it, the ones that had the oil were chosen, were allowed in. The ones that didn't were out pursuing oil, were kind of locked out. It's a portrait of the last day church wow. of the Holy Spirit either being present or absent. 
Right. And so mm-hmm. the church that yeah, carries yeah, yeah. the oil of the Spirit right. yeah, wow. by functioning in the totality of the fruits, the gifts of the Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit, miracle signs, and wonders, anointed apostolic teaching, all the things that make up the Holy Spirit's activity in the church, that church is the oil church. The church that, so the last day is all about oil. Who has it? Who does it? In <laughs> right. the church world. Right. Now we are seeing it now because the pressure that's coming upon the earth is testing the foundation of the church. And so, you know, ecclesiastically, so as we find out now, any foundation that's not built on the Word of God and the Holy Spirit's active agency is being really shaken. And so they're falling into, you know, progressive thought or progressive theology. All these things are happening. There's a a shaking Mm. because they don't have the Holy Spirit's agency and activity. So Mm. uh, churches, uh, Pastor Russell and your church is experiencing miraculous growth. So Holy Spirit churches are growing in this season, churches that have been courageous, that have been bold, that have been faith-filled, that have been speaking God's word, praying for the sick, reaching the lost, and letting the gifts flow are flourishing. Mm. Churches that that don't are being shaken. It's just happening. We we don't wish that. We don't want any church to be shaken. Circumstances are creating this pressure. Right. So everyone needs the Holy Spirit. I can't imagine (laughs) being in the ministry without the the guidance and the Mm. empowering presence of the Holy Spirit, let alone uh, just just living your life. So this this hour is all about the Holy Spirit. And uh, it's just going to get better and better because the Holy Spirit has so much more mm. inheritance right, right. that He's ready to bring us into. But we can't get there by denying Him, by grieving Him, by quenching Him, by keeping Him blocked away, either theologically or experientially. We have yeah. to let the Holy Spirit. I, I tell my church all, all the time, the Holy Spirit is the senior pastor of this church. Right. Yeah, that's He's good. the senior pastor. He can do whatever He wants. Whenever he wants, with whoever he wants. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> That's great. Well, and I really think the the future belongs to presence-driven churches. Right. The spiritual landscape belongs to people who will relentlessly pursue an outpouring Amen. of God's Spirit. And some of what we're experiencing at this church reminds me of what Peter prophesies on the day of Pentecost. Mm. This is what the prophets spoke yeah. of. In the last days, God says, I'll pour out my Spirit on all flesh. And then what always strikes me about the Acts 2 narrative is the way that Peter communicates the diversity of folks that are impacted by God's Spirit. He says both men and women. He says both men servant and maid servant, both young and old, both Jew and Gentile. Yeah. So he says across the generational gap, across the gender gap, yeah. across the ethnicity gap, when God's Spirit is poured out, it brings people together. And that's why I think it's so important that we understand that the mm. pathway <laughs> to diversity is by seeking unity. Mm. When you have unity, God commands a blessing. Mm. Where God commands a blessing, there's an anointing. Where there's an anointing, it draws all generations, both genders, and all nationalities. And I think in an attempt to be made wise in the world's eyes, we have churches trying to diversify without first trying to unify. So good. And the scripture says when the apostles were gathered, they were in unity. They were all in one accord. They were unified, and the Spirit fell. 
And in doing so, the net result of that was that God brought folks together. And I think what's interesting about that is we're seeing both young and old, male and female, folks all across the socioeconomic class, from the rich to the poor to everybody in between who are saying, no, there's something happening again in the Northwest. Yeah. And really, that's been our prayers, that God would vindicate us with outpouring. To me, I see revival as connected to God's justice. It's the way that He vindicates His people. It's the yeah. way He vindicates His church. He says, what you have prayed for, what you have contended for is not in vain. I will now vindicate that through an outpouring of my spirit. And uh, I, I think sometimes in charismatic circles, revival can be an overused term to describe anything and everything. Right, yeah. right. And, and for me, I felt like the challenge of the Lord, like revival isn't the brand that we're building, it's the person we're pursuing. Yeah. Christ is the personification of revival. Every room that he comes into, dead things reawaken, people yeah. come to life, yeah. wine gets poured into new wineskins. Yeah. And, 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 and I, think that, I, think that's the, I think that's the experience not only we're having, but I think the future belongs to Presence German Church. It amazes me what the Western church has been able to build without the Holy Spirit. Right. right. And we, we got the best productions and the biggest stages and right. the greatest lights and the smoothest programs. And we have all of the strategy and the wisdom of the world, but we're missing the wine. Yeah. And what COVID has done is it's killed the hype church. Right. It's killed the shallow church. Right. It's killed the progressive church. It's killed the secular church. Yeah. It's killed the American idol church. And what it has uncovered is the presence driven church. Yeah, right. And the future belongs to presence driven communities. It just does. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's so good. When I was in Europe a few years ago, um, speaking at a pastor's conference for, for you know, a, a cool event. But I was struck by this. I was reading John 17, and I was struck by this, this idea that we keep asking God for revival. The prayer of the church to heaven is for revival. Right. But the prayer of Christ for the church was for unity. Yes. And mm -hmm. so I said this then, and it kind of struck me. If we give God what he wants, unity, he'll give us what we want, revival. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> and, I, I, and I think that that's, yeah. we're going to have to still, in this age, I mean, the devil is burning down buildings. Right. Mm. And we still have in the body of Christ people that feel their job is to criticize the tattoos on the fireman trying to put it out. Right. Criticizing fellow believers. That just all that stuff has to stop. Right. And so the church has to demonstrate unity, like you said, generationally, racially, uh, social, economically, in every possible way. The more we do that, the more we show the world the kingdom of God. Here is the most healthy community possible on earth. The kingdom of God's created it. Right. That attracts people to it, and uh, that's that's kind of the you know you have at your church it was just a great union of those. Uh, uh, of ages and of of everything. It's just a beautiful thing. Yeah, and speaking of the kingdom of God uh, in and among us, what do you, uh, when, 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 when Jesus taught us to pray this, this way, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, what is that, you know, when you, when you think of that, uh, the kingdom coming, the kingdom uh, now, how does that how does that look in your how does that look in your world in your framework is it is it you know um um i don't even know if i'm asking the right question how do i say this but when the kingdom comes what does it look like to you yeah so so jesus said in the gospel of luke the kingdom of god doesn't come with observation hmm. go there go there right he said for the kingdom of god is within you hmm. and paul said in in, in romans 14 17 
The kingdom of God is not eating or drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy through the Holy Spirit. Mm. So those are all personal and powerful virtues. You know, the mm. righteousness of God, our identity, peace, and joy, kingdom emotions, kingdom virtues. So the kingdom of God is the rulership of Christ in our hearts, in our minds. Mm. And so... You know, when I let God change me, it empowers me to be an agent of change. Blessed people, bless people. Changed people, change people. Healed people, heal people. So things change in our world when changed people hmm. enter into environments. And so the kingdom of God wants to wants to spread and influence and impact culture and nations and, you know, from everything from family, the government, the hmm. media, the arts, entertainment. Yeah. There's no yeah. parts of society God doesn't want to that, you know, to, to bring an influence, but the way to do it is not through demand or through dogma, it's through changed people. Mm. So when I come there carrying the kingdom of God, I can't help but bring change around me. Right. And that's kind of the secret weapon of it, mm. that God sends changed people into environments to change that environment. And uh, once we, and I think uh, the church um, it has a, had it backwards for a little while, that we've been praying to get out of things we're called to go into and change. Right, you, you right. Know. Interesting. Lord, I, when, when someone comes to me and says, Pastor, would you please pray that I get a better job? This job has so many sinners there. And, <laughs> and, and you know, so, so I said, well, maybe instead of asking God to take you to a better place, God's called you to make the place you're at better. better. Yeah, wow. And um, seeing our assignment is to bring that leaven of the kingdom, right. the influence, the spreading, the beautiful multiplicity of kingdom values and virtues by our example, by our by what by what we carry as believers. Mm. So yeah, that's the that's you know the kingdom of God is you know the massive rulership of Christ. Christ is coming in a millennial reign. All those things. That's the future king. But there is a present right. kingdom There's here now, now. Right. and yeah. the now kingdom is alive and well. And it's the it's the it's the best way of living. Mm, it's, right. it's God's way of doing life. It's the the principles of the kingdom of God are the most successful, most fulfilling, most God pleasing way you can live your life on this planet. Wow, yeah, and awesome. I, I, and I just think if we could get if we could just get believers to agree with one another, right. the yeah. world would be transformed. Yeah, and it's something I feel like the Lord has been speaking to me in this season is that united pagans are actually stronger than divided Christians. If we could just get yes. believers to agree that no. his kingdom has come and his will is being done on earth as it is. If we could just get believers to agree. So good. Because there's a blessing that comes on agreement. Where yeah. two or three touch anything agreeing, yeah, Christ is in their midst. Yeah. It shall be done. And so I, I, there is such a, I think, and, and in fact, this is the Apostle Paul's encouragement to the church. He says, fight for unity. Hmm. You know, he actually uses a militaristic word to describe a spiritual reality. Mm, he says, in, right. it, with, with the same aggression that the Roman government has multiplied their earthly kingdom across the known world, would that same intensity fight for unity? Yeah. And I think one of the reasons why um, maybe unity in one sense has become a dirty word in the church is because people often believe that unity presupposes unanimity. Yeah, right. You have to look exactly like I look, right. hold every one of my exact political opinions. You better like the same foods and like the same music. And if you ever get out of line, then right. we're really not on the same page. And that actually is more cultish than it is Christian. Yeah. Mm. And so what we want to do in our environments is we want to create room for people to be uniquely them. But at the end of the day, let's agree on what Jesus is doing, both in us and through us. And if we could just get believers to agree with yeah. God. And to me, I think that's one of actually the key ingredients of revival. Uh, 
I don't think we're having revival in the Northwest because God is so impressed with what we do as a church or like God's so lucky that we've brought our great resumes to the table (laughs) and God says, well, I guess now I really do have to show up. We're singing the right song. We're singing the right song. We we figured out the formula and we (laughs) are so driven to formulas. We love formulas. As soon as people experience outpouring, they stop, write a book and then sell it at a conference to everybody else so that they can emulate their methods. And, and it's like, you know, like one, one great revivalist said, man is looking for better methods and God is looking for better men. Yeah. Mm. And so we're always driven to this kind of method, methodological approach, this formulaic approach. How can I get what that other church had? Uh, but, but the reality is, is that formulas are a shortcut to intimacy. Mm. That's wonderful. They're, they're a shortcut. They operate yeah. as an organizational shortcut. So what song can I sing? Right. The latest Bethel, the latest Hill song, then the glory comes, folks get healed and the church grows. But the reality is, is that the oil of intimacy yeah. belongs to lovers. It belongs to people who make the choice to engage with God day in and day out. And in doing so, say, ride in on the back of our agreement. And in doing so, have your way. Be the chief personality in this environment. Yeah. Be the flag that we wave high above our brand, above our messaging, above our bookstore. Be the chief thing that we celebrate and recognize. And uh, I think God has wanted to do something in the Northwest for a long time, Amen. Right. for a long time. And yeah. what he is finding in this season is people who are just willing to agree with him yeah. in order for him to do it. Mm. If we could just get agreement in the church and then come into <laughs> agreement with what God desires to do on earth, mm. revival is easier than we've made it. Right. It's also more costly than we've realized. Yeah. Because what it does is it, 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 it costs us the petty disagreements that slow us down. Yeah. It costs us the political and cultural tribalism that we're driven to. It costs us the opinions that we want to elevate as sacrosanct. It costs us sacred cows. It costs us time, money, attention, and affection. It costs us our ego. It costs us our need to build ourselves to be seen as the chief, you know, uh, uh, marketer and and chief personality of our own environments. Mm -hmm. It does cost us something. But I I think those two things can be true at the same time. Revival is both easy than we thought it is and it's also more costly than we think it is and if we could just get Christians to come into agreement that's what strikes me about John 17 is Jesus is is praying the high priestly prayer Mm. one of his last recorded public prayers prior to Passion Week and he says Father that they would share in my glory this has always been the heart of God yeah It has always been in the heart of God to share his glory with us. You know, sometimes people say God won't share his glory with another, but we're not another. We're his beloved. God desires to share his glory with us. He says, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends Mm because friends know the master's business. He is looking for friends and partners in this season. And you always get more sitting at his feet than you do working in his field. You always get more out of friendship than you do out of servanthood. And it's not that we are not servants. It's that we serve from a place of friendship. We have been invited into this thing to share in his glory. And so in doing so, we're just coming into simple agreement. God, have your way, have your prerogative, be the chief personality in this environment, be the name that people remember. Let's make God famous in the Northwest. And in doing so, let's allow him to ride in on the back of our simple agreement. And see, that's what strikes me about the way that the disciples are taught to pray by Christ your kingdom come. It wasn't 40 days of fasting and prayer and a prophecy in tongues and 14 illustrations and seven formulas and a church growth conference (laughs) and three new books and a manual. It's, it's, it's a relatively short prayer that begins with honor and agreement. And I think if we could get agreement in the church, 
yeah. an agreement between heaven and earth. We're not just going to see revival in the Northwest. We're going to see it in the nations Amen. of the earth. Yeah, absolutely. That's so good, Pastor Wells. We, we had about a decade ago or so, Mayor Phil Gordon in Phoenix, uh, we were talking with him and I said, well, how, how can we pray for you? And he said, well, he, he, he initiated, he said, would you please pray that we had two in our city, two serial killers. Wow. And both had been operating for over a year. Wow. Uncaught. So the state, the city became pretty tense sure. because they were just yeah. random drive by. I mean, and like, like I think one, eight or nine, one fifteen, whatever it was, people Jeez. from any, any environment was felt unsafe. And so I sent out a letter to, I think 5,000 churches. So for, for a year, I think one had been 18 months, the serial killer, and one about 14 months. So over a year, we sent out the letter that Sunday. I don't know how many of them prayed, but, but a couple thousand churches sure. prayed from the pulpit wow. that they would end. So a little act, small act of unity. So that's on Sunday. Tuesday, they catch them both. Wow. <laughs> Like, like, yes. we, we, we barely said amen. Yeah, yeah, right. right. They're cuffing them. They're right. like, wow. Right. So the mayor's like, that. oh, I need, I need you guys to pray about more stuff. Yeah, 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 we yeah. need you guys. Yeah. So we need more money in our budget. Yeah, yeah. 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 Be reelected. But to things. the churches, it was a demonstration of, <laughs> right. like, like Pastor Russell said, the power that's in unity. Mm. Is awesome, and and there's no environment that the church hasn't been invited into because mm. there's no environment in which Christ isn't already king. Yeah, right. it's not that he's not king in our political realm. It's that a bunch of folks don't recognize him as king. Yeah. Right, and so there's an open invitation, and I think there's almost been a fear of the church to be involved in cultural or political issues. And really, it's been the result of pastors who are scared to death of their own shadows, mm -hmm. who will do anything to protect their influence. Right. But the reality is they have no spiritual authority. Mm -hmm. And so for us, you know, I felt like a mandate from heaven. No, we are going to be aggressively involved in the kingdoms of this world because we are in the season of greatest transition. The kingdoms of this world are becoming the kingdoms Amen. of our God and of our King. And, and anywhere that the church doesn't have a voice into, those things don't improve by themselves. Right. They don't slide towards yeah. yeah. When culture starts to drift, it doesn't drift towards orthodoxy. Right. It drifts towards heresy. Yeah. yeah. When believers start to drift, they don't drift more conservative. <laughs> they drift more secular. Right. And so for us, you know, in this city and in this region, I know that God's actually placed a mandate on our lives to be a voice that is involved in some of these cultural issues and to have really a public theology. You know, our theology doesn't just govern what we do on Sunday mornings for 90 minutes. If that's what our Christianity has been reduced to, then no wonder our cities are in the shape that they're in. Right, right. We have a public witness. We have a public faith. We have a public spirit. We have a public theology. And that requires us to be able to speak into some of the issues that are happening in the world around us. Right. And I think one of the things that has been disheartening for me as an individual is to see how many leaders and pastors have cowered in fear over the last 18 months, pulling the proverbial blanket over their head, waiting for it to end so we can get back to normal. Guess yeah. what? We are never going back to normal. Right. And that's maybe the best news that there has ever been for the church. Yeah. Because what there is is an open invitation for people to find righteousness, boldness, and authority to actually make a dent in the world around us. Revival is not just for the church. 
what it leads to is reformation in the culture. And we actually owe the world an encounter with God. We owe them. Yeah. We owe them something more than just gathering a couple Christians on Sunday morning and hoping we can pay the electrical bill. Right. We owe them something more than just a fancy program and a nice Sunday school class. We owe the world an encounter with God. And until we have first been encountered ourselves, then what we are giving them is sails without wind and wineskins without wine. And so the church must first be a house of encounter a house of anointing, a house of awakening, and then in doing so, translate that into public theology. Only a united church can heal a divided nation. Mm -hmm. The answer to our cultural problem is not to get our guy into office or that guy out of office, right. but instead for there to be an unmitigated outpouring of God's spirit in our hour. And in fact, we've been here before. And I think like you've mentioned, Dr. Maiden, about every 50 to 60 years, mm -hmm. there is another move of God's spirit. And the last time we saw this was in the 60s and 70s with the Jesus People Movement in a similar cultural climate, in a time of riots and race wars and economic uncertainty right. and the Vietnam conflict and all sorts of things in the midst of it, with young people moving to California, strung out of their minds in the midst of the sexual revolution, God's kingdom came to earth. <laughs> right. And in doing so, things got birthed like Calvary Chapel and Bill Bright, Campus Crusade for Christ. Right. And you had folks like Lonnie Frisbee and others as God began to do a work that started on the West Coast and spread to the nation. And it's happening again. Amen. 50 years later, we're having another move of God no. and it's happening yeah. again. And so what we're saying is yes. this is the pattern of God. Yeah. This is the pattern of encounter and awakening. As culture starts to drift, as, as the nations start to rage, God sits on his throne and laughs. And he yeah. says, watch what I'm about to pour out on the church. Yeah. And so it is the wisdom of God that confounds the wisdom of man. Yeah. And in doing so, we are seeing, we live in the best days. Yeah. There has never been days like this that we're living in. Yeah. Like you said, more folks are getting saved than ever before. We got more churches getting planted than ever before. People are awakening to the reality of the hour. We have never been closer to the return of Christ. And in doing so, God is pouring out his spirit on all flesh. I believe we are coming into a last day's revival encounter awakening that will lead to a billion soul harvest. Yeah. And I think the breeding ground of that is in small out of town places that nobody can pronounce where what God is finding is people who are really unimpressed with themselves, but really impressed with who he is, who are simply hungry for encounter. And that's what God has found in Snohomish. That's so good. And God's using your church. Your church reminds me of my friend Bill Johnson's church in Reading that has had a dramatic influence in their city. Mm -hmm. So their, their church is a, an encounter God church, right. kingdom church. And there's not one part of Reading that's been unimpacted by the, the changed people at, at Bethel. Right. And so, um, you know, in this town of 10,000, 20% of, uh, of, of the population goes to your church or, or your church is the size of 20% of the town. Right. right. And so your church has already been, I, I believe it's going to be one of the best examples for the nation of a transformed community mm. um, because of a church. Because, you know, when I was praying years ago, and um, I had a large church when I was your age and uh, feeling good about myself. And the Lord was, uh, he was chastising me one day. And, I, and we had thousands of people. And the Lord told me my influence in this city didn't match my numerical attendance. Wow. And I thought about it for a long time. And then I, I realized, man, God, God doesn't look just at about how many people are gathered. But so the, ch the church is examined by 
is the city changed? Right. Mm. So if the church was gone, would there be any difference? Right. Wow. Would the city even notice? Right. Wow. Would the would the education environment? with the business environment, with the government, with the arts, would they even notice you were gone? So the, the, the church's assignment is to change all of those things. And for the longest time, we didn't think that, we thought we were to protect ourselves from all those things. Right, 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 right. And to be disengaged right, kind right. of purposely. And now I think we're getting a better understanding to occupy until he comes, to make a quality difference until... Uh, Christ comes or our life ends. So that's that's our assignment. But this church, and I'm so excited what God's doing here at Pursuit, because it's already happening that God's, right. and even Pastor Russell's background in government and politics is was all strategic in what God's doing in this mm. time for you guys. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's super exciting. Yeah, And I think it's important for us to recognize what Paul says to the church. He says, the church is the pillar of truth. Yeah, It's the pillar of truth. And so we've got to relearn what Scripture says about Jesus. Jesus doesn't just have truth. He Jesus is truth. Is truth. Yeah, yeah. Which means that my entire epistemology has to be wrapped up in a revelation of who Christ is. Yeah. I have to view my world through a Christological lens because there is no place in my life or my influence by which my relationship with Christ doesn't impact it. Right. I, I don't get to have a nice little life and then not allow Christ to impact my sexual ethic. Right. I don't get to have like a nice little life and then not allow Christ to impact the way that I engage in the public square of civic engagement. Yeah. Like that's not an option anymore. Right. And if we understand Christ as the pillar of truth, then what we're saying is my worldview is framed in by that relationship. Yeah. This is not a choose your own adventure. This is not like a pick and choose from what pages of scripture you like. And I like what he says about marriage, but I don't like what he says about family, but I like what he says about grace, but I don't like what he says about sin. This is not a pick and choose. Right. This is go all in on Jesus, and then in doing so, understand that we're going to view our world through his lens. It's not just that Jesus dispenses nice little truthful statements. People in our society who are even pagan have no problem with Jesus telling the truth. Mm -hmm. It's like little truthful statements that you pull out of a, a fortune cookie about how to live a nice life and treat your neighbor as, 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 as you would like to be treated. But, but the radical claim of Christ is not just that he tells the truth. He is the truth. He right. is the truth. <laughs> Right, he right. is the way. He is the life. No man comes to the Father except by him. There are no amount of good works. There are no amount of virtue signaling. There's no amount of social credit that you could ever amass. There is only right. one way to the Father, and it's through the Son. And there is a way that appears right to a man. Yeah. It seems right. Mm -hmm. That's the philosophical age we're in. There is a way that seems right to a man. But in the end, it leads to destruction. And we are seeing that in our world today. And I think what's even more dangerous is we have some churches buying in to social sociological constructs at the expense of a bloody cross and an empty tomb. Yeah. If you'll just chant what we chant and read what we read and say right. what we say and donate to what we donate and vote the way that we vote, then somehow in doing so, you can amass for yourself spiritual credit and get to heaven. Mm. But there is no way to the Father except through the... It's a narrow... It's not a broad road. Yeah. It's a narrow road. Yeah. And so it, I feel like we're calling people back to historic faith. Yeah. I want to make historic Christian orthodoxy great again. That's what I want to do. The faith of our fathers, right. call people back to first century Christianity and understand, no, you don't get to opt in or opt out. Right. 
Paul says in him, we live, move, and have our being, even as your poets say, even as your poets say, we are his offspring. And so Paul is borrowing the language of his day to say, even in the heart of pagan poets, they know we were created for more. We are the offspring of God. I think that's our message to folks. Thanks for listening to the Pursuit Table Talk podcast with Pastor Russell Johnson and special guest Dr. Michael Maiden. Make sure to stay connected with us by following us on social media at The Pursuit NW on YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook. And make sure to check us out online at thepursuitnw.com.